Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. The more you read the book of 1 Thessalonians, the more you can realize that this letter was written to very new believers. The Apostle Paul, passing through Macedonia close to one year before, spent three weeks preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in, to use his words, power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance to the people of this dark and sinful city. In God's mercy, a good number of these worldly people got saved in a marvelous way. And from that short time of labor, the church in Thessalonica was born. Their testimony became an encouragement to the entire region. And now, several months later, the apostle writes the first of his two epistles to them, with a goal not just of encouraging them, but of strengthening them in three important characteristics of the Christian life. Bob Danker has joined us for our fellowship today as uh, we're still in the beginning stages of this life study of Thessalonians. Good to have you here, Bob. It's good to be here, Chris. This book is so refreshing. It is a book written to new believers, and the things that Paul covers in them may seem to be basic, but they're so necessary for us to live a proper Christian life for the fulfillment of God's eternal plan. What we'll see today in the first few verses of the first chapter, three main characteristics of the Christian life that Paul stresses here to the Thessalonians. Let's read uh, beginning at chapter 1, verse 4, about a half a dozen verses. Knowing, brothers, beloved of God, your selection, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, even as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became a pattern to all those who believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded out not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place, Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we have no need of saying anything. For they themselves report concerning us what kind of entrance we had toward you, and how you turned to God from the idols to serve a living and true God, and await his Son from the heavens, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath which is coming. Bob, before we join Witness Lee, it's encouraging just to read these verses, realizing he's writing to these new believers. What a testimony. We'll focus on the last part of the section I read. I'd like to ask you something initially, however, about the very first word that Paul brought them here. He mentions that they are beloved of God, and he mentions their selection. Would you say something to this point before we really uh, begin today? Yes, Chris. Uh, Although our salvation uh, takes place when we believe in the Lord Jesus at a certain point in time, it's very important for us to realize that the actual origin of our salvation was back in eternity when God selected us. Mm. The reason we are here as believers, the reason we have believed in the Lord Jesus is because 
God selected us. It doesn't mean that we're not free to make our own decision concerning believing in the Lord. But still, we have to realize that our believing is actually the carrying out of what God did in eternity past when he selected us from numberless human beings Mm -hmm. to receive Christ, to receive all that he is for our salvation. This is an establishing and stabilizing factor. If we realize that we were saved by a God who chose us in eternity past, this will strengthen us to stand in our Christian life, and it will empower us to go onward to reach the goal of our salvation. That is a marvelous point to realize that it is God himself in his selection that is behind our salvation, not just an act of faith that we carried out at a certain point in time. It does strengthen it, and it solidifies our salvation, doesn't it? It certainly does. So here is Paul reminding these uh, young believers of such a foundation to their salvation. All right, let's join Witness Lee for this first portion now. We want to focus on these three items today, which really are in verse 9, as we read a moment ago, turning first from idols to serve a living and true God and awaiting for the sun coming from the heavens. Here's Witness Lee. This book is on a holy line for the church life, constructed with the faith work and the love labor and the hope's endurance. That is the structure. Now we come to origination. Such a life was originated by the preaching of the word. Then by the acceptance of such a preached word. To help the new beginners, we must present an amount of word of God to them matched with our manner of life. Then, surely, they will accept this word and they will imitate us. They will follow us to follow the Lord. And they will become pattern to other believers. This is the origin. Two verses show us the details of uh, such a life. Verse 9 says, For they themselves report concerning us what manner of entrance we had to you. The apostle stresses the manner of life. The lift, the detailed contents of such a holy life for the church life. Number one, how you turn to God from idols. Number two, to serve a living and true God. And number three, and to wait for his son from the heavens whom he raised from among the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath which is coming. These three items are the detailed living of a holy life for the church life. Bob, yesterday in our opening program, we saw how this life is constructed of these three things, their work of faith, labor of love, and endurance of hope. 
Today we have this uh, term introduced, the origin of their life, and it uh, involves a couple of items, doesn't it? Yes, it does. The origin of this Christian life is really the preaching of the Word of God. When the Word of God comes to us, there's a tremendous impact upon us, and we are infused with an element that becomes our faith, our ability to receive that Word. So Paul and his co-workers came to Thessalonica, and they proclaimed the Word in power, in the Holy Spirit, with much assurance. Right. They were preaching was no doubt powerful and very moving. But in addition to that, what they spoke was matched by the way they lived. So they conducted themselves among these gospel candidates uh, <laughs> in a way that was a complement to their speaking. And actually, their speaking and their living were one. So this also had a tremendous impact on these listeners, these new believers. Eventually they believed, but they not only received the word, but after they received the word, which caused them to be regenerated, they took the apostles as their examples and their patterns, and they began to imitate the apostles. So even the manner of life of the apostles was part of the foundation of their Christian living. And so they imitated the apostles. Eventually, by imitating the apostles, they imitated the Lord because the apostles and the Lord were one. The apostles were living Christ. They were living out Christ in their daily life. Mm. These new believers, with such a pattern in front of them, began to do the same thing. And actually, they weren't following men. They were imitating the ones who were their spiritual fathers, but eventually by doing that, they imitated the Lord himself. And they, the new believers, then became a pattern that was manifest to all those in the surrounding region. You can see that Paul's preaching, the way they conducted themselves, had a powerful impact, and it was prevailing in the effect that it had on these believers. It gave them a solid origination beginning foundation for the Christian living that they would enter into. We, we will hear in uh, some of the subsequent programs, even tomorrow's program, a little bit about the history of the region. And, and this city particularly was somewhat notorious. We probably can imagine cities in our own country that we can relate to in that way. They just sort of stand out as being particularly not God-fearing. And uh, this region in general was like that, but this city in particular. So for them to become a pattern, that must have been a powerful testimony in throughout the whole region to see these ones rising up in this kind of environment and take such a stand. And they themselves imitating, as you said, the apostles, even the Lord Jesus, become a pattern. This is a tremendous way for the gospel to be propagated, isn't it? It certainly is, and it shows us the way that the gospel should be proclaimed with a life that matches it so that the new believers would have not only the word of God as the foundation of their life, but even the pattern of those who announced the word to them. All right, let's turn to these three characteristics now. The first one in verse 9 is that They turn to God from idols. And uh, when we hear this kind of word being in our culture and society, we don't think generally we have such a problem. But as we'll hear, we may have the biggest problem on this earth in our current culture and society, Bob. And uh, one verse that uh, was pointed out in Philippians, For many walk whom I have told you often, 
and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their stomach. So it's possible even to make your stomach an idol. So we are not immune from idolatry, as we'll see. Here's Witness Lee once more. The Christian life is a life with three things. Turn to God from the idols. Serve the living and true God. Wait for the Son of God to come back from the heavens. The first characteristic is to turn yourself to God from the idols. No one in the human race doesn't worship. Some worships education. Some worships a fame, a good name. Some worships position. So, a lot of idols. One object of worship is not an idol, but the real God. That's God himself. Beside God himself, whatever, a person, a matter, a thing, anything, any person, anyone, other than God, if you worship, that is an idol. In my youth, I heard a lot talk about the uh, Americans. I thought all the Americans don't have idols. In China, a lot of idols. But the more I stay in this country, the more I found out. More idols. The idols in China are outward. The idols in U.S. are quite hidden. The Americans, they are the real lovers. When they love something, the minute. When they love dancing, the minute. They go dancing. And in China, I never saw such an intensive dancing as an American. Dancing is an idol. My, the entertainment. All kinds of pleasures. All kinds of entertainment. They worship idols. The Lord's Day was ordained by God for his people to worship him. In the entire world, this so-called Sunday is a day of worshiping idols. You just consider today on this earth how many real worshipers of the true God on this earth. Not so many as the worshipers of entertainment. We think the gospel is to turn people from sin into God. But Paul's preaching of the gospel is to turn people from the idols. It's easy to turn people from sin, but not so easy to turn people from idols. The beginning of the Christian life is to turn from idols. Oh, this is uh, strong speaking. I couldn't help but remember, Bob, when I was a young believer, I read a book, an account of uh, the Welch Revival at the first part of the 20th century. And the Lord raised up a number of young people, but particularly this young Welchman named Evan Robertson. He was preaching the gospel. The Lord came in in such a mighty way. And eventually in this coal mining region, it got so prevailing that the soccer and rugby stadiums emptied out 
on Sundays, and those people were standing in line trying to get in to hear the gospel being preached. That was a real turning from idols and a real testimony of the kind of power that must have been associated with these uh, young believers in Thessalonica. Yes, Chris, it's very enlightening to see what an idol really is. We think naturally that an idol is an image that we bow down to worship, but actually anything that replaces God in our heart, in our living, is an idol. Anything that we love, anything that we enjoy for our own pleasure, such as entertainments. You know, in, uh, Witness Lee mentioned that our society is filled with yeah. entertainment of so many kinds. It's mind-boggling. But uh, people are caught up with entertainment, either television, movies, sports. All of this is entertainment for man's enjoyment. And this replaces God because God is man's real entertainment. God is man's joy. God is man's enjoyment. God wants to be everything to us. Yet, in our modern living, we have replaced God with many hidden idols, Mm. not apparent to the eye, but real nonetheless. And the gospel, the power of the gospel, has to touch us to such a point that we turn from everything that is not God. We turn to God absolutely, letting everything go. Uh, If the gospel is proclaimed in this kind of way and it has this kind of powerful effect on us, then we are released, actually liberated, from the bondage to these idols, and we are ushered into a Christian life in which we enjoy God, we live for God and his purpose, and we go onward to reach God's goal. We're released from the hindering things. This is a very, very crucial matter. We really need the Lord's mercy to shine and enlighten us to the things that may be replacing God in our own lives. He gave some examples. And in our American culture, as you said, the choices are so uh, numerous. There's so many of them. That's one aspect, but also the fervor with which people and in our culture give themselves to these various pursuits. And in his shining, in his mercy, he brings those to light. And then it enables him to replace what we had been using to replace him. That's marvelous. All right, we have two more items we want to touch in this last section, both of them, again, in these verses 9 and 10, chapter 1. Not only turning from idols, but serving a living and true God, number one, and awaiting his Son from the heavens. Let's join Witness Lee once more. The Christian life must bear such a first characteristic. The Christian life is a pure life without idols. Then, to serve the living and true God. How could you prove that God is living? By your daily life. If God is not so living, you would never live a life like what you are living. Your present living is a testimony that the very God whom you serve is living. He is living in you. He controls you. He directs you. He deals with you. He wouldn't let you go. In many things, he corrects you. He adjusts you. God is living. This is number two. The number three, we, the Christians, must live a life that always declares to people our hope. It's not on this earth. 
Our hope is not in this age. Our hope is in the coming Lord. Our hope is in Him. And our future is in Him. On this earth, we have no destination. On this earth, we don't even have any destiny. We don't have any future. Our future, our destiny, our destination, all together focused in Him. And He's coming. He will be our hope. He will be our future. He will be our destination. You know, the world people, their kind of living always gives people the impression that uh, their future is on this earth. Their destination is today. Their hope is today. But our future is not wrapped with this earth. We are waiting for the Son of God from the heavens. The proper life for the church life is such a life. A life without adults. A life that testifies your God is living. And a life that is waiting for his coming back. Bob, I love these last two points. The first one is that our living is a proof that our God is living. And number two, our living makes a kind of a declaration related to the Lord's coming back. Maybe help us with these two thoughts. That's right. This is marvelous, Chris. In every part of our living, there should be a testimony. And that testimony should be that the God whom we love is living. He's Uh not a dead, dumb uh, (laughs) object. He's a living person. And he affects our life in so many ways, our every detail even our speaking, where we go, what we do, even our thinking. He's involved in a living way to direct us, to adjust us, to correct us. In our life, there should be such a testimony that God is so living and so operating and working within us, and our living simply manifests this living person. This is the Christian life. Wonderful. And of course, if we allow this person to live within us and operate within us, then we will live a very simple life with no expectation that this present existence will hold anything for us, that all of our expectation will be directed toward the coming Christ, the one who is coming from the heavens. We are waiting for this one. We're not waiting for the next upturn in the stock market. We're not waiting for (laughs) some event to take place or something to happen in our life so that we will be happier or feel better off. We're living a simple life. We're living a life that has one destiny, one future, and one expectation, and that is Christ himself who is coming. The characteristic of this age certainly uh, is a kind of a declaration at every turn, at every phase, that people's hope is in today, this time, this economy, this home, this career. These become the hopes of the people. But our living should be such that it declares our hope is in the coming of Christ. And it really touched me. It is not so much our words that declare that we're waiting for Jesus. It is our living that declares and is such a testimony. 
Absolutely. When people look at us, they should see a person who is not attached to this present life, but who is waiting for the Lord's coming. Wow. Healthy words for uh, new believers, for old believers, and all those in between, Bob. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Let me point out to our listeners very quickly that uh, uh, this volume that contains the life studies of both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians is available. If you would call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. Join us again tomorrow for Bob Danker and Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. Throughout the centuries, the Lord has recovered many truths concerning His purpose and plan for humanity. The recovery version of the New Testament by Living Stream Ministry presents these crucial truths in a format that is easy to understand and study. This faithful translation of the original Greek text includes outlines of each book of the New Testament, over 9,000 footnotes, more than 13,000 cross-references, charts of important truths, and color maps. The New Testament recovery version from Living Stream Ministry is available at Christian bookstores everywhere.